Tough day to be a Cavs fan, but a great day to be a basketball fan. The Warriors and Kings went down to the wire. The Celtics and Hawks about to play a great fourth quarter, but we lost. We're down 3-1. This isn't 2016. I'm not going to say LeBron ain't walking through that door because he has nothing to do with this. Donovan Mitchell's walking through that door, though, and I'm fully confident that he has what it takes to help the Cavs win the series. But on this episode, we're talking game four. What went wrong? Why we lost? We're going to preview game five. What to expect? How can the Cavs win? How can the Knicks close it out? Of course, this is across the Cavs, so we focus on the Cavs, but a lot of Knicks discussion as well. Along with Pete Kennedy of the Subway Sports Talk podcast, who does take the reins on this episode, a crossover of two all-time TBPN shows. We get into everything. We make references to things you never thought you'd hear on a basketball podcast. So come, stick around, and don't forget to rate at the end. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning into SST on Apple Podcast app, Spotify, and on YouTube. And this special SST is not here alone. It's a crossover episode again. If you heard the last one, you know what to expect, which is some great podcasting, if I must say so myself. The Across the Cavs host, Zach Weiss, is here in the building after game four. The Subway Sports Talk Across the Cavs crossover is happening again this time after we did our pre-series predictions we now have a look at what took place within these four games so far and perhaps a shocking result to this point where the Knicks lead three to one so everything about game four game five and beyond is on the table and Zach is here Zach Weiss what's up brother hey Pete you know I I feel better now that we've had a couple hours since this game ended you know, this was uh, the highlight of my weekend was going to be, you know, Friday night, Sunday game. We get a couple quick wins and we get in, we get out. But obviously the joy I was expecting to experience is being taken by the Knicks and their crazy street team and their fans. And we haven't gotten any new Bing Bong-esque lines, at least. So there's no line I can always think of that makes me feel sad. But I will say, as we get in to talk about this series, I don't think I've given the Knicks any credit properly before. I've had a couple other appearances on with Sports Grid. You know, we talked about that last weekend when I was on twice last week to talk before Game 2 and Game 3. Game 2 nailed it, Game 3 not so much. And coming into Game 3, I kind of underplayed Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett, so I want to apologize for that. We're going to get into it, but shout out to both of them. You know, they proved me wrong. They proved everybody wrong. And I'm very impressed by the core players of the Knicks and by their coach, who I think has done the best job of his entire career over the last couple of games. And you brought up some things that are top of mind for me, and we're going to dive deep into all of them. The Tibbs factor, the depth here, and, and just to reiterate kind of what we were talking about pre-series, my whole thing was that it's obvious the Cavs have a better top end roster that's like not even really a debate even to this point where the starters were outplayed today because the starters for the Cavs are basically the whole team because they play like the entire game the Knicks have this strength and numbers thing going where their depth is real and you can make an argument they have one of the best benches benches in the NBA now does the best bench in the NBA usually lead you to being a final contender no and we're saying the Knicks are final contender no obviously not but in these three wins for the Knicks there has been that like attacking from all angles perspective that I kind of expected. And it was Hart in game one and game four. It was RJ Barrett in game three. I mean, game two is one of those games where like you guys were such a whirlwind and Garland was so hot and Mitchell was solid that who knows what happened and boom, it was over. Right. So 
in, in these other games where the Knicks have won, Brunson got his tonight. Randall got his earlier in game one. Um, and it, But when it came down to it, it's the Barretts, it's the Hearts, it's the Hartensteins, it's the Mitchell Robinsons who are making their fingerprints really noticeable on these games and these outcomes. And Zach, we didn't mention this yet. Randall did not play in the fourth quarter, which is wild. And out of the tibsiest of Tibbs things you can do, it is never to sit your stud who played all year long, who averaged probably as many minutes as top 10 guys in the league. Like, it was unheard of. So the Tibbs renaissance that might be taking place in front of our eyes is shocking for many, but super shocking for anybody who watched him coach in Chicago and Minnesota and even in New York the past couple of years. Yeah, and that's actually one of my main keys that I have as to why this game went how it did is the fact that he allowed, fortunately for us, he allowed Obi Toppin to play the entire fourth quarter. Why did that matter? Obi only made two baskets. He only totaled 19 minutes. He did what uh, William Green did in the first round last year with Jose Alvarado. He played him a criminally low number of minutes over the first three quarters and would just stick him out there for the entire fourth. Didn't expect to see this. I don't, because if you think back on the Knicks, and obviously I'm here for the cast, but you think back on the Knicks, Pete, and it's always been when the Knicks get into trouble. All right, it's Julius time. Sorry, Obi, you might be doing nothing wrong, but it's Julius time. And then the last time they struggled in the playoffs, they tried Obi and Julius, but it was too late in the series to salvage anything for that to even matter. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed with how the Knicks did at the end of the game, unfortunately. And and we're going to talk about keys, and I'm going to give both perspectives, but there's two players that – four players that led the Knicks to this win. You're going to be shocked at, at two of them. The first is Obi Toppin getting the fourth quarter minutes. The second is Cam Reddish. The third is Kevin Knox. Why, why do I bring that up? Why do we bring that up? Because the Knicks traded Kevin Knox to Atlanta for their Cam Reddish package last year, and while he barely saw the court because of injuries and benchings and yada yada – Cam Reddish was the trade piece that got them Josh Hart, who was undervalued in New Orleans and undervalued in Portland after leaving the Lakers. And he's the, unfortunately the reason we lost the offensive rebounds, the clutch shooting and combine that with a power forward that didn't need touches, just rebounds. And fortunately they found the recipe to beat us. That, that was an incredible little uh, now you see me, now you don't moment right there, Zach. That was so funny. Uh, the Cam Reddish crowd is like, I always knew he had worth. I always knew. <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't in himself. It was it was elsewhere. Um, yeah, the Josh Hart thing is, is crazy. I was watching the game with my buddy, and at one point in the fourth quarter, he just turned to me and said, can you imagine this team without Josh Hart? And I go, no, because they may be technically the five seed Still, if they never made the Josh Hart move, you know, they probably could have still beat the Nets and beat the Heat and et cetera. But what he brought to this team was that missing link of just tenacity, dirty work, rebounding. It wasn't just Mitch out there on an island trying to grab rebounds because this guard or forward, whatever you want to call him, is grinding on the glass. It's actually insane how many boards he comes up with. And Mitch deserves his credit for putting in work on the offensive glass. That was a point you and I spoke about uh, about last time as well. Uh, but to, to get more organized here for a second, Zach and I are going to go through this game. Zach has some key points he wants to go through. And I think a great way for us to kind of work through this game in this series is for you to bring those points to the table and we'll discuss them as we go. So you have some points on the Knicks win. You have some points on what the Cavs need to do. And you have one other little, another one other list. That, and just right, that, the game, the game five musts. 
the game five must. So those things is what, that's exactly what we need to do to walk through this episode. So we'll get into that um, as well. But last thing I want to say real quick about the depth. We were joking. This is more for our Knicks fans listening to this right now. And sorry to the across the Cavs listeners who have to now listen to this. But we had this Knicks team like four or five years ago where we were like having conversations that like Alonzo Trier needed to be inserted into the starting lineup. Right. Like, like that's where the Knicks were at. They had a guy named Mindaugas Kuzminskis, whose Knicks fans were like obsessed with, even though we knew he wasn't good. Right. That's where the Knicks were at a few years ago. And for them to come now with a team where they're ninth and 10th players, even some of their guys who get DNP'd on a regular basis are actually useful NBA players. It's a foreign world to us Knicks fans. Like Miles McBride comes in, plays two short stretches and plays rock solid defense, hits a three. Like, what more can you ask for from a, a deep bench guy than that? So it's just flabbergasting, and that's going to be wrinkled in throughout our conversations here. So, Zach, why don't you kick us off? You're going to do the Knicks list first. The so keys. I'll do the, the, the Knicks list, and I'll make it really short so then I can finally get to the cast. <laughs> but, yeah, so here's what I got. I got five reasons the Knicks won. I've already given you one of them. The first, 17 offensive rebounds. We talked about that number after game one. As well, you know, it was Hartenstein late in the game with the little push out after the Josh Hart three with five seconds on the shot clock. They dominated on the glass again today. Hart at five, Mitch had seven. You're getting them from Obi as well. That's not good. The second key is Tom Thibodeau. Again, it's just the, the, the top in minutes. He didn't get many touches and he only had that one layup. But guess what? It came off an offensive rebound every time the Cavs would get close and I could finally be excited. To give up an offensive rebound, it would happen. Number three is Jalen Brunson. He's not that tall, but he's damn good. And it's unfortunate for us. One-on-one, doesn't matter who's guarding him. I think Okoro is the only one that could clamp him. But Okoro's outside shot is too limited for him to get the crunch time minutes in this game. Or so the coaching staff thinks. I got some bones to pick about rotations. But no one else could stop Brunson. And besides that stretch in the middle of the third quarter when the Cavs made the run, he was unstoppable. Number four, the guy that Stephen A. Smith said shouldn't be on the floor, R.J. Barrett. Stepping up. We don't have basketball references lines available yet for this game, so we don't have all the advanced stats to pull from just yet. That should be out tomorrow. But R.J. went nine for 18, He did, which meant he was nine for 12 inside the arc. He missed six threes and five free throws, but he scored 26. He got to the basket, and unfortunately, early in the fourth quarter, on a call that I really thought should have been challenged, was not. R.J. Barrett will drive and scoop, leans into Mobley. They weren't calling fouls like this. They say that's a foul. Mobley's defensive ability kept the Cavs in the game for that early part of the fourth after he came out late in the third with four. They didn't challenge. He has to come out, and that's where the offensive rebound became an issue again. So it was that moment plus R.J. And the fifth and final one, obviously, was... Kevin Knox to Cam Reddish to Josh Hart, unfortunately. And Josh Hart was a guy I was kind of hoping we might go after. The difference in this game was that the Cavs decided to stand pat at the deadline, and the Knicks went after and got Josh Hart. That's and really the what, difference in the series. It, it actually probably stings for, for you to think about how much you need a Josh Hart in that rotation. It, it is actually can very much so be argued that he would be the missing piece to your guy's success. Not saying he'd make you a finals contender right away. Same for the Knicks. But like those Levert minutes that are so up and down, the Okoro minutes where he makes a great play but then misses three shots, 
the Chetty Osmond minutes where, you know, he makes some good plays. The Chetty Osmond thing we're going to have to talk about because I have some thoughts about Chetty Osmond and maybe what I want more from him, but I expect more. I don't know. We'll get there in a second. Jetty, John, it's pronounced with a J, by the way, like Jedi, Jetty. But Jetty besides Osmond. that, yes. That's, that's on me. Jetty Osmond, we'll get to him in a minute. Josh Hart is kind of a combination of those players. He's got a little bit of Levert in him when he could kind of create by himself. He can get to get to the rack a little bit. He can't shoot like Levert, but he can make some plays. He's got the jetty in him where he can kind of cause some havoc on defense, get out in fast breaks, and he can defend like Isaac Okoro. He might not be as high-end defensively as Isaac Okoro, but he can take on the challenge of a Donovan Mitchell. He could take on a challenge if he wasn't on the same team of a Jalen Brunson. Like He can do those things, and that is a missing link that every team, not every team, a lot of teams have in the league. The Cavs have. The Knicks had, and he really plugs in those holes. One more thing I do want to get to on your Knicks point before we jump over to the Cavs. The offensive rebounding stuff was incredible. I tweeted this out. I think it might have been the second quarter. I was obsessed, and I've been obsessed all year with Mitchell Robinson. There's been this stuff that that's coming out where he kind of got a little frustrated uh, throughout the season where, you know, whether it was his uh, saying he wanted to get a little more involved in the offense, that he's just doing cardio out there. But that's never deterred him from just being a menacing rebounding force and a guy who gets tip-ins and alley-oops and just great positioning down low. He's giving two of the better big men in the NBA fits by himself and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley on the glass. Like, that shouldn't happen in theory. And because of his effort and his energy on the glass and running the floor, he completely flips the script. And Hartenstein did a great job filling that same role when he got in there with a little bit more offensive flair, being able to pass and dribble a little bit. But, man, I can't give Mitchell Robinson enough credit. We always talk about how RJ can be the punching bag or the unsung hero on any given night. But we very seldom give Mitchell Robinson respect like some, you know, top level or tier two level center. Obviously, he's not a tier one guy because the offense isn't there. But what he provides at that position with the scores around him is so invaluable to me and I thought he can give them fits based off the regular season performance where he had nine offensive rebounds, and it's been more of the same. I don't know how long he can keep that up, but Zach, that, that's got to give you a little bit of nightmares over there when you see a ball go up in, in the air and Mitch has gotten good position. Yeah, and I haven't really talked about this much yet, and this thought just crossed my mind, but I'm looking at Jared Allen's numbers and his minutes, and he's Andrea Bargnani without – he's pretty much Andrea Bargnani without the jump shot. Now, Bargnani was a number one pick. He averaged 20 a game. I'm not dissing his game because – and he was a Nick. He actually wasn't even that bad because of his ability to score, but he, yeah. was, he wasn't a winning player. But I will say, and it sucks. It sucks. I usually – I wouldn't even use the word that word often. You know, a little, a little extreme for me. You know, I keep, I keep all my expletives off the air, but I'm mad. He's been bad. He's been really bad. He was starting to make shots late in the game, but he, he's he been soft on the glass. He's not dunking on people. He's not blocking anything. Josh Hart's cooking him. This is that kind of 2K thing, Pete, where you have your guys who can slash. They put a defender on their back, and they score every time unless you have a 99 shot blocker playing defense. That's what it feels like every time Josh Hart and R.J. Barrett go to the basket. He gets Mobley in position, gets the foul on him. Allen can't defend the rim. They played, by the way, I think this is the first time this season, at least when I've been watching, Mobley and Allen played the first 11.30 of the opening quarter, and I don't remember a time where neither one subbed out to that point. You know, Allen just was not good today. Mobley had his moments. I think he started to come on, but the foul trouble killed his rhythm going into the fourth. 
And Mitch is a problem. You know, I know it's not only the Cavs that he does this to, but when you're hyper-focused on a series, you're like, oh, it's only happening to us. And we have these thoughts on these players coming in that, oh, they're not all that. We knew it on the Cavs. We knew what to expect from Brunson. And we knew what to expect from Randall. But I didn't expect Mitch to do this based on where he was at uh, coming into the series. I didn't expect R.J. Barrett to bounce back like this because he hasn't been this really since well, – Ever. Ever, right? He's not consistent <laughs> with it at all. I had him in fantasy two years ago. So every time I check a Knicks score, I'd be like, oh, what did R.J. do? And I was actually a good player for me. But in real life, eh, I didn't expect Josh Hart to do this. I expect he's like a 10-5-5 guy. He's not this energy difference maker. I don't think he'd even been to the playoffs before this season. So, look, I, I give them credit. They're hungry, and I underestimated the impact of the MSG crowd based on how Trey Young silenced it two years ago. And I think, personally, I put too much stock in Trey Young's ability to silence a loud crowd on what the Cavs might do this weekend. And it obviously didn't go that way. Yeah. And, and you know what, it's also obvious at this point that that Knicks team was not the same. That Knicks team was there on just great luck and good energy all year. They were not there on merit of this is a really good team that even if they're not better than their opponent, they can play as good or better any given night. That, that's just the fact of the matter. We all wanted to love all of us. Knicks fans wanted to love the hell out of that team. And we had a great time with that team, but when it came down to it, they were just not even good enough. They couldn't hang with the Hawks. They wouldn't have been able to hang with this version of the Cavs team either. So you have that thing. And with RJ Barrett, man, I did a TikTok about him the other day after game three. And I was like, you know, it's been easy to call him the punching bag. He's inconsistent. And sometimes it's not his fault, but a lot of times it is his fault. He gets blinders. We've talked about this with Lavert in our, in our pre-series podcast, they, those are the similar type of players where they get blinders on and they're like, we need to score. I'm going to score. I'm going to score. I'm going to score. When RJ Barrett doesn't necessarily have that mindset and says instead, I'm going to take my offensive chances when they come to me and still be aggressive. He's so much better. And he made a couple passes tonight too, that know that l- let me know that he's in a rhythm that he's playing within the offense it makes the world of difference. And on the Jared Allen front, there were a few points where he had some nice buckets. I think he backed down like, I don't know. I don't remember who it was quickly or hard or something down low and got a bucket. He scored two or three uh, buckets in, in a few minutes there. And as a Knicks fan, I was saying, you know what? I'll live with that. If Garland's not shooting threes and Mitchell's not shooting threes, let Jared Allen dribble and take a hook shot. And if he makes it, he makes it. We have an eight point lead right now. His two pointers not killing us. So that's another weird thing with a center like that, where yes, you want him to do more offensively, but you almost don't because you need Garland and, and Mitchell and Levert and Mobley to be more explosive offensively to get momentum shifters. And unless Allen's dunking on somebody, his little floater over quickly in the paint, it's not getting the Cavs going. It's not their momentum boost. I was I was fine with Allen scoring those points, which kind of sucks for him because they were nice plays. But it just wasn't uh, an impactful bucket by him at yep. any point. And here's what I want to say before we switch to kind of the Cavs side of things. And it's the sense of urgency for me that really changes things. Every time the Knicks come down with Brunson, and whether it was Garland starting on him or Mitchell or Okoro, a few seconds into the clock, they start screening, whether it's a big man, whether it's quickly, who I don't know how legal either team screens have been. because There's been a lot of, I will say, some of these Knicks look like they're holding the Cavs. Maybe they're not, and the Cavs are probably doing the same, but they, they, we don't match your physicality. Bless you. I see your mic is muted as you sneeze. So bless you, Pete. Pete dropping a couple of silent bombs in there. And a third one. Bless you. Never, never go, never go unblessed. 
But three points all. Yeah, unfortunately, three more points for the Knicks. But you know, looking at it, and I was talking about this tweeting through the game. First five minutes, it was a five-point game, but the Knicks had drawn a few fouls. They were aggressive. They were going into contact. Cavs were sidestepping it. Okay, and quickly comes in, sets these quick screens. Hart sets these quick screens. You know, Grimes being out, blessing in disguise. I think if he comes back, he should be coming off the Knicks bench for that matter. But that, that's for, for later, for later, for later. No Quentin Grimes talk just yet. Josh Hart is that guy. Him starting certainly changed the way this game went. They set quick screens. They run plays. They have motion. Unfortunately for the Cavs, I felt like they maybe read five or six possessions total today where they ran something and didn't just say Don or Darius do it or lob it because there was that third quarter stretch where the bigs were playing lob city and we felt like the Clippers, which has been the case at times this year. But that was the only stretch of the game where we're running set plays and you saw it too. It's just ISO and movement. If we score, yay. All right. I'm pumped. We got a bucket, but also you're going to do anything to confuse the Knicks to get them in trouble, confuse, get Tibbs angry, losing his voice. So he can't talk in the huddles. No, on all counts. So. Yeah, and Garland really was cooking in that third quarter. Holy hell. The passes were incredible. The shot making was incredible. That's when we got super nervous as Knicks fans. And you're right. Those were moments where there was a pick and roll with action on the bottom where he was getting to that elbow area and then either getting a great look at a jumper or just dumping off to Allen and Mobley. And boy, like that was that was scary. Like if that stood up, you know, the fourth quarter might have looked a little bit different, but the pressure was just too strong on Garland and Mitchell. They never got comfortable. So Zach, let's go over to your, your Cavs points here, your Cavs list. And I'm sure Donovan Mitchell will be brought up on that front. Cause we've been talking for 20 minutes or so now, and we haven't even mentioned the 11 point outing, from yeah. Donovan, Mitchell, which was crazy small. We knew there was a chance he could have one game where he was out, but you don't expect this. You don't expect two points in the second half from Donovan. Correct. Yeah. This is something away. else. Yeah, this is definitely something else. So he's third on my list. This isn't in order of, of what's most important. It's just as I was going through what mattered. The first is the lack of threes. Now, the thing is, Peter, you know, the Knicks only made six. Oh, the Knicks only made eight. It's not like three-point ball was, was crushing us. They made eight out of 29, almost worse than our six of 23. Jetty had one early. Akor had one in the third. Lavert hit a few open ones, and Garland had those two. One in, I think then they might have honestly both been in the fourth quarter when the game was already out of reach. I think they were. I don't think we had any in the third when we actually made our run. So we didn't lose because directly because of the three, but it certainly had an impact. The Cavs made 14 in their game to win. Defensive rebounding, you know, we we grabbed 26 defensive rebounds and they had 17 offensive rebounds. That's 17 out of 43 times. Gonna do a quick math check here. The Knicks grabbed. 39.5% of available offensive rebounds. That's wow. really embarrassing for us, given that we're one of the only teams to employ two seven-footers. So I'll say a capital yikes, unfortunately, on that front. Number three on the list is Donovan Mitchell. Peter, five for 17, two points in the fourth quarter, late. And there were honestly times this hasn't happened before where I wanted him to pass instead of shoot. Normally, he makes the right play. He had 13 assists in the game to win. Right, but this is now three straight games where his scoring has been at the back after he dropped 38 in game one. He was not ready for MSG, which is kind of crazy because five straight playoff appearances in Utah, four of them with fans, one of them was the bubble. He's used to it, and he's had some insane moments, so it's certainly different, 
It is a new system. He had been established with Quinn Snyder. And when you're a star with the same coach for a while, you get better. Kind of like Jamal Murray with Mike Malone. You know, they've been in the system. This is his first year. They've dealt with some injuries. You know, that's another one. And this wasn't listed on my original list, but I will say the starting lineup. Karras wasn't terrible, 14-9, 4 out of 10. He's better off the bench. You should have started Okoro to get your intensity. If not Okoro, then Lamar Stevens. Those are your defensive dogs. They're the ones getting the DPOG chains after games when the Cavs win. You know, they have 52 wins regular season and playoffs. They get them a lot. That you don't start either one certainly hurts. You know, there was a Jetty Osman miss three. We'll talk about him from your perspective at, at the end of this list. Jetty had an open three after we got a stop with about 320 to go. He missed. Ball ended up, I think, out of bounds on the sequence. Knicks then used their last timeout before they lost it. That miss was very tough. He hit the one when he first came in. He's had some great moments. That hurt. Jared Allen mentioned he's been, it was a turnstile, didn't do much. Josh Hart was taken to the basket over and over. And that fifth foul on Mobley was the nail in the coffin with 10 minutes left. I didn't want it to be. I, I still believed until the last minute. I, I even thought I'm not turning this off because maybe, just maybe, these threes go in. They force a turnover, yada, yada. So I'll say that with Mobley, with the, with the foul. And there's two other plays that stand out to me. There was Obi Toppin going top of the key to the basket for the layup. It's the only time he really shot in the paint. And because that was off a uh, near turnover at half court, halfway through the fourth with Brunson. If they, if Levert gets that steal, we're off in transition. That's two points. Actually, two other plays. That's one. Two is the steal that they had at half court. And Randall, whether it was a foul or not, we're not arguing that. They got the stop. Mitchell couldn't score on him in the ISO. And I'm trying to remember what the last play I wanted to focus on here was. I don't know if I have that one queued up in my mind. This is all. Just trying to remember the box score for a lot of moments, but Knicks did it. We didn't do it. And there's a lot other than Darius Garland, 23 and 10 with no turnovers, 21 and eight after halftime without a turnover. There's not many guys I can smile at right now. Yeah. The Garland factor was the main factor. It was the only real nerve inducing player for the Knicks right there because Mitchell, every time he shoots, you get a little nervous because all it takes is one for him at some point, right? He hits one of those step back threes and you go, uh Oh, he might get hot and score 10 in four minutes, right? Like that can happen for Donald Mitchell. It never did, but Garland was so scary, man. He was so scary. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that this series is over because Mitchell, yeah, he didn't show up in game four. He can go back to Cleveland and dominate in game five, 100%. And if Garland is now getting into this better rhythm in the playoffs here, where he's had a couple of good games in a row, more or less, when those two guys are cooking, this team's really hard to beat. And the thing that you brought up about the starting lineup, I want to touch on real quickly, because bringing Levert into the starting lineup obviously makes it a more dynamic offensive unit. But that's not really what your team needs. Your team doesn't need to be more dynamic offensively because with Levert out there, that's touches away from Garland, touches away from Mitchell, touches away from Mobley. Those three guys are all you need to run a good offense. That's it. You need that other piece, which is why I look at Jetty Osmond as a guy who should be in there. He plays defense, and he's at least useful enough on offense if you let him get in there and get some rhythm. The Levert factor, he is built to come off the bench yep. and give you a spark on offense. And we talked about him at length on, this, on the series preview where you don't want him to think that he needs to be needed. Yeah, he's not Nathan Scott. As soon as he thinks he needs to be the man, it gets weird, and he takes too many shots. It's, it's very reminiscent of what we were talking about with R.J. Barrett. 
it doesn't make sense to me to have him in there because your defense has been a top tier defense in the NBA the entire season. If not the best defense, the Cavs have been number one for a lot of the season. That is not based off of Garland and Mitchell. It's based off of Mobley, Allen, and Okoro. That's the big three defensive unit that you guys are employing and wreaking havoc on offenses across the league. If you make that Karis LeVert, he is mediocre at best defensively. Donovan Mitchell can be very good at defense. He's okay. He's decent. He has moments. He's not always giving the max effort because of the offensive burden. Darius Garland is okay at best on defense. Correct. He was decent today, I will say. He actually was decent today. He was getting, he's moving his feet very well. That's why I'm saying he's he's decent at best. He's not going to change the game defensively. So now your top-tier defense is being hindered by three mediocre defensive guards or wings, and your two guys are left on an island. There were points uh, on the flip side where when Garland was cooking in the third quarter, Mitchell Robinson, Jared, uh, not Jared, Julius Randle, and uh, Hartenstein were like on an island where they were like, oh my God, do I guard Garland at the elbow and or or like and allow a, an easy dump off to one of the bigs? Or do I sit back and let him take a wide open elbow jump shot? Like they were in no man's land. And that was because Brunson was letting Garland go right by him. That was because um, RJ Barrett couldn't stay in front of him. But that's why your defense was so good. Because the Okoro factor of being able to take the best player on the other team. When you have Levert, Mitchell, and Garland, who do you want to guard uh, Jalen Brunson? Who do you want to guard RJ Barrett? Those are now mismatches when they don't need to be, or at least one of them don't need to be. And that, that funneling mentality that you have with Mobley and Allen cleaning things up, it doesn't become as big of a factor because those guys like Brunson and Barrett are getting to easy spots on the floor. Yeah, no, exactly. And on your Jetty Osmond comments, it's kind of funny because I always feel like he's a better defender than he is. And he was the first starting small forward after LeBron James left. Now, he's the guy they, they stuck there. And I remember the very first Cavs game post-LeBron, second time, and they're playing against the Raptors. And this is before I was a league pass guy. I'm not, and obviously, I, I watch games in a way you're not supposed to say you watch games because then they watch you. So I, I watch, I, I pay for basketball. I do now. Can't change the past. <laughs> Uh, but I was watching on the league pass trial and it was Kawhi's Raptor debut. Everyone had eyes on that game and Jetty was actually solid. I thought, yeah, I think he had a 20 point game. He had some good moments. He's had those good games over the course of his career. And as the last two seasons, as they've become competitive for the first time since then, you know, he's for some reason been, whether a fall guy to JB Bickerstaff or whatever, he'll take a DNPCD. They don't play 30 minutes. That happened to the regular season. Uh, and there's there's been games in this series, I want to say, I don't know for sure off the top of my head, where he probably has played only a few minutes. Where And, you know, I was very happy, I'll say, when they decided to put Danny Green in. You know, I think it was starting game two. We've been waiting for that for a while, and it hasn't been as good as we thought. And he hasn't gotten as many opportunities these last two games. Because the thing is, if the Cavs struggle, JV is pretty quick. And, and, look, it's hard to coach. It's hard to make a rotation. But he is bad at it. I will say he's bad at it. He hasn't gotten better, and I don't think anyone's helping him with that. And can I, can I yes, go ahead. Interject for a moment. Before you go off of Bickerstaff, how much do you miss Ty Lue? Because I miss I, him a lot. I, I, I with with this team, he'd be nice because he, he, he'd find ways to be creative. I think it would certainly be interesting. You know, I, I think with Ty Lue, maybe they probably would have wanted to pull the trigger to give him another piece because you know, he's creative with rotations because the Clippers are probably getting knocked out and it sucks in the next right. two it's days. Not, it's no fault to Ty Lue. No, <laughs> he's trying everything. 
Yeah. I, I respect and the hell out of the way that they're able to run an offense through Russ has only been there for three months when his top two guys are out. All the respect in the world. I've never lost faith in Russell Westbrook. And you can check anything I've ever said anywhere for that. I, I definitely have. <laughs> Understandably, people like yourself have. But anyway, would be nice to have Ty Lue. But at the same time, I don't think he would have coached through the rebuild. We had too many years in between. You had to change. Unfortunately, they didn't have great candidates before. Actually, it was it went, you know, Larry Drew was a mess because he didn't want to be there. And then you brought in John Beeline, who also didn't have much of a chance. No, he wasn't good. Okay. He was 14 and 40. And he had the slugs versus thugs. And in, in a league that's predominantly not white, you can't say that. You can't yeah. say it anyway, but that looks really bad. Yeah. in your locker room because you're coming off in a way as racist whether or not he is i don't know but that that's right that was the problem with that quote yeah Calling and it was stuff. the whole thing too it was like uh, coming from college where college coaches have so much power and then he came in and was just running like crazy stuff it, it was never going to work on the tie front though you're 100 right he wouldn't have made it through the rebuild because it wasn't fair to him in that regard mm-hmm. you also needed to wash off the lebron sense right yep. like that was important like if tyloo hung around in cleveland maybe you get here anyway but because he was so attached to the LeBron uh, arc, if you will, of that whole run with David Blatt and then Tyloo takes over, yada, yada. Like, we all know the story. Um, after LeBron leaves, like, you can't have Tyloo hanging around too long. It was just too close to that other thing. And they, they, you're never going to be that LeBron thing again. So you need it to, to fresh start. I just bring him up because he's your former coach, and I just love what he does. If there's a coach in this league who likes pushing buttons, it's freaking Tyloo. And yeah, I love dude. I love Ty- that. Tyler's the kind of guy that plays Mortal Kombat, presses 100 buttons, and it ends up with 25 combos. Wins immediately. 100%. 100%. And, get, and back on the small forward count, you know, uh, finishing up on the Jetty Osman, which I was essentially saying he's had some great moments, but it's also been confusing these last two years when he's still very solid shooter. And when he plays big minutes, they win. Great follow on Twitter for sarcastic and serious content. Jetty Osman fan club. It's been building. He's at 2,100 followers starting to start a year, like 700. It is a great account because you know, anytime you post something about Jetty Osman, you're going to have a good engagement about and a good conversation about Jetty Osman. But the thing is, I still don't think he'd be good starting. I, I'd like him as a, today he was the sixth man. It really should be a Coro starting. And now that we've seen Danny Green, whatever he has or will play, I think the ideal rotation going forward should be this. Garland, Mitchell, Okoro should come back. I think that the early fouls killed them because I think the offense did enough in his absence in that game, too, that it threw everything off. Okoro, Mobley, Allen, and then whenever you do, Levert, six, Osmond, seven, no more Ricky Rubio. I'm sure you were even not even rooting for the Cavs. I'm sure you were sh- very surprised to see him come in the game. I know I was. It was a flash. It was a blink, and he was out of there. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't done any. I don't know how he lasted six minutes either. He doesn't have a shot anymore. It stinks. If he didn't get hurt last year, get a different story. And on that, just prayers up Victor Oladipo, who might not play another game after as he that tries sucked. to come back. That absolutely sucks because he – was actually looking solid after dealing with this. It was a second major injury. I think personally he tries to come back one more time. I feel like he thinks he's not ready to, to become a rapper yet. He's not ready to challenge Dame for the title of best basketball rapper yet. He does have some good stuff. He does. And he doesn't he doesn't flaunt his he doesn't flaunt it, Pete. So we don't hear it as much. He doesn't he's not posting his lyrics. Maybe he is. Maybe he has some NBA players have YouTube channels and it's kind of funny to me. Like Delavadova has a YouTube channel. 
and he's my favorite player, but I just find it really funny to think that Della Vadova, and Draymond has all this, but like I think of Matthew Della Vadova in his spare time, sitting on his MacBook, opening up YouTube and typing out a post. It just, it's a really funny visual to me, right? Yeah. right? You know what I mean? I have to imagine that they have like producers and teams and stuff. Right? Oh, of they, course. Of there's course. no way Delhi's sitting on his phone on cap cutting up TikToks. <laughs> I, I mean, he's not, he, he, he puts the time in. He's the only guy that could guard Steph Curry for a whole game in the nice. entire league. And now Steph's for, had for bad games. I don't, don't come for me. Anyone else that's seen someone guard him for a whole game, but your guy didn't go to the hospital and get you two straight wins when it's LeBron, Delavadova, and guys that would be coming off the bench. No one else had. No one else can say they had that. So shout out to my guy. Can't see the framed poster because it's to the left, and also I have to have the blur background. But to the left in my room, I do have the Delavadova signed poster, and of course, coincidence, Verashaw's guarding Amari in the post, and it's Cavs Knicks. Delavadova has his hands up against Pablo Prigioni trying to find Amari in the post, guarded by Verashaw. I can't take it off. I don't think I'd get a good enough angle here. I will share with it after we're off, but kind of funny that that, that comes up. But that should be the rotation. Go back to Lamar Stevens. Get a second yeah. JYD, Junkyard Dog, in there. Did you get that energy? You play defense. You have nothing else to lose. I think they have to play the Lamar Stevens card. Anyone that doesn't know much about him, go back. I have an old episode detailing his entire career in college leading up to his Cavs breakthrough. And then secondly... He's nine points away from passing Taylor Battle for most all time, but because of COVID, he didn't get March Madness. He's him, and Amar Stevens makes differences. You have nothing to yeah. lose. You're down 3-1. Yeah, I agree. They need to be more multiple and less worried about them scoring points because they should be able to score points even though Levert's not doing his thing. All right, let's do our Game 5 musts and look forward to the rest of the series. Just to reiterate, not to uh, you know add salt to the wound here, but you picked Cavs in six. I and did. much to my chagrin that I will eat these words, I picked Cavs in seven, uh, which is obviously still a possibility, and I'm nervous, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I did pick Cavs in seven. So as much as I'm going to hear be here and talk about how I predicted the Knicks' depth would be this and that, this and that, I did say Cavs in seven. So we'll see what happens. But first before six and seven comes game five. So, Zach, hit us with your game five must for this uh, upcoming battle on Wednesday night. Yeah, I got four things. The first, Donovan, quick start. He scored 11. First five minutes of the game, I want him to have four to five shot attempts. I don't care about moving the ball. I don't care about getting anyone else involved. Make your shots. He's had those types of games, and that's when he's at his best. Being aggressive early will keep him locked in. Number two, box out. It's easy. You're big. I don't care that you have small arms. And I actually quoted when I hopped on SportsGrid the Twigman comments I'd been seeing. I quoted it. And I certainly have eaten my words again because, unfortunately, Evan Mobley's played like a twig, man. You know, you got to you gotta go from being a twig to a nice oak tree. If anyone's ever seen Ned's Declassified, and I've been listening to the podcast, be oak. Strong as oak. Oak is strong. No one, no one likes twigs. Be the oak. They can't move you. You can't cut down an oak tree. You can take a twig and throw it 10,000 feet if, you're, if you have the muscle of – who's the next strongest? Julius Randle. Probably take a twig yeah. and throw it 50 football fields. It's huge. Yeah. Okay. So don't box out, please. You're big. I don't care how strong they are. You're bigger. Box out, make them go over the top of you and get fouls. Three, help defense. Easier said than done. Playing NBA defense is very difficult if you're not huge or agile or have a wingspan. We don't have wingspan players. We're not 
we don't have John Hammond at GM. I do like Kobe Altman. We don't have John Hammond. We're not drafting Giannis with, with this and the Bull Bulls and the Thon Makers and the Michael Carter Williamses. But just help. No more open threes. Every time the Knicks had a wide open three off that double team, they'd miss it and then get the rebound. I don't care that they were missing it. They shouldn't be getting them. And then last and not least, make Jalen Brunson give up the ball. I don't care if you double every time. Quickly didn't make anything today. R.J. Barrett was 0 for 6 from downtown. Josh Hart had his moments, but if you make him shoot eight threes, he's only going to make two or three. Make other guys make the shots. And then if that happens, we're going to game six. I like those a lot. I think those are all on point there. Uh, the Mitchell fast start is absolutely what the Cavs need because nothing scarier than when he hits two threes in the first four minutes, especially at home, and the crowd is just going absolutely bonkers, and the Knicks are like, what just happened? We're down nine, and it's like three minutes into the game. That can happen with Donovan Mitchell. Um, the Brunson thing is what I want to touch on most, though, because we talked about the rebounding and the defense and stuff. They did double Brunson a lot. And there were points of the game where I was actually clamoring with my buddy saying, dude, Brunson looks kind of flummoxed right now. He's not getting good looks for himself or others. And he's kind of getting nervous trying to get rid of the ball out of these doubles because Jeff Van Gundy pointed out they were waiting for the shot clock to go down to kind of kill some time with the eight-point lead or so. And then they were getting into their offense with like eight seconds on the shot clock. What saved them was the offensive rebounding. It wasn't that Brunson was making these incredible passes out of the double team and R.J. Barrett was hitting open threes. That didn't happen. They missed those shots. But Brunson was a little bit flummoxed there, and I was almost surprised when I saw his stat line pop up that he had 29. I mean, yes, he hit five threes. That helps a lot. He uh, got to the free throw, free throw line only twice, but he hit a lot of those little elbow jumpers, those fadeaways he hits from, from the elbow extended. Those are good shots for him. They're not good shots for most. But if the Cavs can get the ball out of his hands, that's when you need to then see a Julius Randle game. And I'm not saying he needs to go for 40. He needs to be consistent. He needs to be solid. He needs to attack the rim. He needs to hit a few jump shots. So I agree that that's a must for you guys to get the ball out of Brunson's hands because he's been so solidly and consistent. Or solidly, solid and consistent. Sorry, I almost said inconsistent there. And then Julius Randle needs to help off there. He needs to be the secondary star that he is and score 20 points. Like he needs to hit some jump shots. He needs to get to the free throw line. Cause I agree. I think they're going to attack the hell out of Jalen Brunson and get the ball out of his hand. He got 29 in his sleep in game four. They can't let that happen again and quickly needs to show up. I've been saying we need quickly to do a lot this series. He's done close to nothing. And we're still in this very advantageous spot up three, one right now. And all it takes is one at this point. So for my must, on the flip side of your Cavaliers-based uh, must, my must is that quickly better hit some freaking shots and make some plays in game five because all it takes is one, Zach. And he may have been a nothing this entire series, but if he has that one game where he goes for 18 because Hart doesn't have it or Barrett doesn't have it or Brunson only goes for 18 himself, that's the game changer. Uh, the strength in numbers doesn't mean that every bench player is going to go off every single game. It means that every game, one to three guys can make their fair share of an impact and quickly has to do something in this series. And not only will it help them win game five or six or whatever game it might be, it'll help him be better in the next series, which I, I don't want to count my chickens. The series is not over yet, obviously. But if Brunson gets doubled and attacked, which he should and will, quickly has to do something about it. It can't be all Barrett. It won't be all Barrett in my estimation. Hopefully I'm wrong again on that front. It has to be Randall. It has to be quickly. 
and I'll say this, this is what determines game five. And I'm not predicting six or seven. I'm not going there again. I'm not no more picking ahead for me, but I'll say this. We're going to go back to one tree hill as we, as we start to wrap up here to, to talk about what has to happen. Whichever player becomes the skills tailor for their team tonight is going to be the one that gets the win. And let me explain what I mean by that. To anyone that hasn't seen one tree hill, there were two different basketball teams in the first season of the show. There's the actual high school team and there's the river court team. The river court team just plays pickup. They're good, but they're just playing pickup ball. Every player in the NBA can dominate the river court if they wanted to play there, no matter who they're bringing. They're NBA players, okay? The spotlights are off. The defense isn't as hard. And so whichever team gets that guy that hasn't shown up yet in this series through four games to come and tear it up because Skills Taylor, by the time One Tree Hill was over, spoiler alert, sorry, Skills Taylor was on the team. We talked about Lucas Scott. We talked about Nathan Scott. Skills Taylor is the third guy on that team. He's fantastic. He's an ISO scorer, pretty much. He has a bag. He's a great passer. Real name Antoine. It's kind of funny. His character name and his real name were the same. Played by, I think it was actually played by Antoine. Might have been Antoine Taylor? Antoine Tanner. Antoine Tanner. I I didn't pull that out. I I looked it up. It's Antoine Tanner, right? And his character is eight years old, by the way. If you want to. Yeah, he was very old. He's the the Jason Earls of Hannah Montana of One Tree Hill. (laughs) But, But anyway, on a serious note. Whichever player is the is the skills tailor, right? Who's going to show up that hasn't? Will it be IQ for the Knicks? Will it be Jetty for the Cavs? Will it be Lamar Stevens? Is Evan Mobley going to come and score 30 all of a sudden, right? Is someone else on the Knicks? Is Quentin Grimes going to come back and challenge Hart for more minutes? Will Josh Hart score 30? Whoever just comes and has that massive game that we have that we don't expect it from, they're going to win. I'm not predicting Cavs or Knicks because... I've been very off and I don't want to put any possible jinxes in the air, but whoever has that guy that can come that we're not expecting, that's that X factor. You're going to win the game. And if it's Knicks fans, congrats, you're the better team. I'll be reading about it for another year. And if it's the Cavs, hold on there. I'm not done yet. We live to see another day. And, And I agree with you because that's what we said before the series, or at least what I said before the series. Randall and Brunson never needed to outscore Mitchell and Garland. That They needed to just hang with them. If you can hang with the starters of Cleveland, you now have the opportunity and the upper hand because your bench and depth is better. That's always been their ticket the whole time through. That's why your point is absolutely spot on. If it is Jetty, if it is Mobley, if it is Levert, who can do it, even if we get frustrated with what he does game to game or moment to moment, it can be Levert. Right. If whoever that third guy is for either team who actually takes over and has that quarter of dominance or that stretch of just making play after play after play, that's the difference. It always has been this entire series. And weirdly, game one and game four have that in it, where it was heart in game one and four. Game two, you guys dominated all the way through. You had that one quarter explosion, it was over. Game three, the Knicks kind of took the big lead and, and ran away with it. So those games are a little bit different. But any game that's relatively close here. You're going to look at the starters for the Cavs and the best players for the Knicks ending up about even at some point, they're going to be around even. And then it's that other guy who steps up the skills, Taylor. I love that pull right there. That That's the difference maker. So Zach, great episode as always. Love talking and uh, talking hoops with you, chopping it up across the Cavs podcast, across Cavs on Twitter. Zach Weiss. Is, is it Zach Weiss on TikTok? Is this your name? 
Uh, no, my TikTok is the thing. It's, it's the triumphant something. Honestly, that's 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 mostly my broadcasting highlight. So it's separate. Hey. If you want, if you want to hear my voice get a little more animated, I would say <laughs> I'll pull up my, I'll get my ad here. I haven't actually plugged my TikTok before. This will be my first live TikTok plug. We are me and my thirty six followers out here. You know, it's at Zach twenty three Weiss. Perfect. I, so I I like seeing it. I just I'm just saying, if it's a place to uh, to hear more of you, then it's a good place to to go check it out. Why not, right? Respect. So, I pre- appreciate that. Of course, of course. So good stuff across Cavs, across the Cavs, across Cavs on social media. Another crossover episode with Subway Sports Talk, and uh, I guess we'll see what happens with the rest of this series if we're going to be talking again because this is good. I'll, I'll miss this when the series is over, nonetheless. I will too, Pete. And I have to say, my last off the off beat completely thing off the beaten path. Anytime someone says, of course, of course, you have to say a horse is a horse. You just have to. I don't know if you're the same way, Mr. Ed, which I got confused for other things. I thought it was a movie, but a horse is a horse. Of course, of course. Every time someone texts me, of course, of course, you'll see if you do it. That's what I'll always reply with. So closing out, a horse is a horse. Of course, of course, the Cavs can win if a player is skills tail. And there you I appreciate go. the shout out. And Pete called it a great episode. If you think it's a great episode, you got to drop both of us, drop a review, not just mine, not just his. Five star, two way, baby. That's it. If they do that, if they go on the old Apple Podcast app, they click on Across the Cavs, five stars. This show's great. Five star Subway Sports Talk. This show's great. Wow. What a nice thing you guys just did. That's that's just lovely. That's just lovely. My last shout out for, for this episode, wrong wrong point here if you're watching on YouTube. This side over here, I had to replace my album on the wall to a, a Spike Lee joint. I got the He Got Game soundtrack on vinyl. I threw it in the frame. It's on the wall in the YouTube video. It felt right today. The, the Spike Lee joint, He Got Game, Denzel Washington, Jesus Shuttlesworth, a.k.a. Ray Allen. Uh, what a wonderful movie. And yeah, that's what I felt like today watching Jalen Brunson, that He Got Game and RJ Barrett. And I, my last comment is it actually looks exactly like Jared Allen to me. If you look at the poster real quick, <laughs> I'm looking at Jared Allen. Got the fro and everything. That's yeah. great. If he had the headband, then it'd be really real. Well, the, he does have the headband. If you look underneath the, the public and enemy, it looks like a headband on his forehead. It does. That's great. Uh, look at that. All right. Well, beautiful stuff here. Again, check out Across the Cavs, Across Cavs on social media, Subway Sports Talk. You know where to find it. And uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, yeah, of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you listen to podcasts, as well as on Instagram and TikTok at Subway Sports Talk, Twitter at Subway Sports Talk, TLK, because they don't let us use enough characters. Whatever, Twitter. I'll get over it one day. That's all we got. Cavs, Knicks, Game 5 on Wednesday. Let us know what you think. Drop a comment. Leave a review. We appreciate you. Cheers.